Coming up, the number one fantasy book podcast, breaking down the scrolls and spells of nerd culture. We're Phantology. You may have heard of us. What's up, Span Readers? This is Steven and Pentology with another Rhythm of War chapter breakdown. We got chapter nine this morning. We're just getting one at a time. He started off getting, giving us two, but I guess we backed off a little bit. We have to be content with just the one. But this chapter, honestly, out of all of the Rhythm of War chapters we've got so far, this has been my favorite chapter thus far, which is maybe kind of weird because the previous chapters all had a bunch of fighting and action. And this one was more of a reflection. We got more secrets. Maybe that's why I liked it. I thought there was some really strong emotional moments. So I loved it. Fight me on that. Join our Discord. Let us know what you think of this chapter. If you like Phantology, you can find us online at www.phantologybooks.com on, on uh, social media at Phantology Books. We have a few things running right now. You can join Audible on us a little bit and get an extra promotion there. We have links to that on our website, on our posts. You can also get some extra Patreon benefits also linked everywhere. And we have a new merch store with a few original designs. I actually ordered one. We have this like author buddies shirt that I ordered that I think you'll see on future podcasts once uh, once shipping makes its way over to me. So that said, let's get into chapter nine. And I do these every week. So if you're looking for a little extra little extra bit on your plate after reading the, the chapter, hop on here. This is a, primarily a, a summarization of what happened as well as some theories and speculation and maybe some hot takes and my reactions from the from the chapter a lot of the theories are derived from our conversation on discord so phantology has kind of a think tank going to come up with theories that are ultimately going to be correct we are going to outsmart brandon sanderson himself that is a phantology guarantee immediately rewriting the guarantee but i feel like i have to make a guarantee every uh, every episode now after the guarantee from last episode which was that we will see someone from Mistborn, someone from Schedule, come over. So my guarantee this episode is that one of our theories will be correct. And we'll get into those theories in a little bit. So chapter nine starts with more medals, with more Mistborn magic going on. This time we're talking Pewter. So Navani says that Pewter is used for Augmenter Fabrials, which make the Spren manifest more or less which makes a lot of sense because pewter is used for primarily like physical strength. And that just makes sense that it's going to beef up your spren when used in a Fabriel. The first viewpoint, we get three viewpoints in this one. We have a Kaladin, we have a Navani, and we have a Shallan viewpoint. And they just go back to back. There's no hopping around. It might be the case that our initial avalanche is over. Sanderson has said that he made a informed decision, made a purposeful decision to start the book with almost a climax. And that reflects 
the year of time that is past. And I think that's over. I think we're kind of going more into some of the uh, more mundane, but not le- not less interesting, just more mundane moments of Rhythm of War, of Stormlight Archive. So Kaladin comes to, after the events of Chapter 8, back on the fourth bridge. He's leaving Hearthstone. There's this nice imagery as he sees the town. It looks like kind of a discarded crab shell. We assume that Rashon must be dead. We weren't sure. 100% if, if he was dead in Chapter 8. I was pretty sure. But there were some folks on Discord who were saying, no, you know, Renarin could have healed him. But he's he's dead, right? His throat is slit, so he's gone. And this part with Kaladin, this was some emotional stuff. This is some pretty weighty stuff. It's no surprise that Kaladin has depression. Definitely not the first that we've seen of this. But I thought this writing was the strongest writing of Kaladin's character and his depressed state that we've seen so far. Maybe just really resonated with me. Because I think we've all kind of felt these types of feelings, maybe some more than others. But this felt so real to me. His depression here. His thoughts of he wanted to return home triumphantly and bring, you know, you know, help his help his family, help his friends. And instead he's looking out at the desiccated remains of his town. And that feels like a failure to him to add to the failures of Tien and Elokar, this weight of responsibility on his shoulders. He has these moments with Syl where Syl says, Kaladin, I really want to help you. I want to understand you. And she can't, and it's heartbreaking. And he says something like, you know, when you figured, when you figure me out, Syl, let me know because I can't figure it out either. It's, it's, it's some tough stuff here. There's a really good quote here that I just wanted to read off. He says, why can't he stand up tall, stride towards the sun like the hero everyone pretended he was? He has these moments where he's thinking about who he wanted to be, who everyone thinks he is, really. Because in other people's eyes, in Teft's eyes, in the eyes of the other Windrunners, maybe not Teft as much. I think Teft understands a little bit more. But in the eyes of the other Windrunners, he's this triumphant hero. And that's who, that's the persona that he puts on. And I think in these moments where we all struggle, we do the same thing. You have to act the part for a lot of the times, but then in those quiet moments, it's tough. You can really break down. And so I think we see this here really beautifully. Teft comes over. He understands some, but not all. And and he just kind of gets Kaladin to do his duty of congratulating this other Windrunner, Laren, who is sworn the third ideal Kaladin goes over and he does so and then you kind of get the zoom out camera moment on Kaladin where you see him do this and then you see him go join up with the squad that's going to fly off and he's so lonely he's so incredibly lonely and on his own and man you feel for him I really hope Kaladin can get some it's heartbreaking to read to read these moments and see where he's gone as a character but still see the struggles that, that still plague him. And I think that's so true. And it's something that we can all relate to, the progress, but also the steps back and, and the struggles that we continue to deal with as humans. So that's Kaladin's portion. The Navani portion starts here. I love Navani's viewpoints as well. You can the, the tone shift between all three of these characters is awesome. And you can see how well Sanderson characterizes each of them. So Navani's ponder, pondering deviations and secrets in her life she ponders on the fused emp 
Fabriel that we saw in chapter eight, she says she realizes it's the same design as the pillar at the center of your theory. And she's wondering, you know, why would a radiant, you know, why would, why would something that powers the radiance as we think that your theory does, why would this be an EMP thing that's going to also take away the radiant powers that the fused are using? She doesn't really understand how either works because they don't seem to abide by the regular Fabriel rules and neither do soul casters. She kind of thinks about soul casters here. They don't seem to abide by a lot of the rules that she set out in the lecture series that start the beginning of the chapters. She's learned that all these soul casters have radiant spren, smaller versions of the spren that are unresponsive in Shadesmar. So there's something going on here with the soul casters more so that we know. So speculate away. I don't think we have a theory for this as much, but obviously these soul casters are, are something fairly significant. Speaking of soul casters, they have been to Amia and found a cache of soul casters there. I think that's something that you may just kind of gloss over because it's just like a one-liner. She just, yeah, she, she talks about, oh yeah, we went to Amia and we got a bunch of soul casters, but they've been to Amia. I mean, that's a big deal. That, that's a huge deal. I think we're going to get this story in Don Shard. Uh, the novella, Don Shard, is going to be 75% from Rissen's POV and 25% from uh, Lopin's POV. And we're setting up to get some Amia action. And this is exciting. This is a really something that like, a casual fan may not even know what it is because there's so much going on in Stormlight. But we saw a interlude chapter that dealt with them trying to get to Amia and failing. This was a kind of offhand POV that uh, characters' names I'm not coming to mind. And we know that it's kind of this like separate island thing that has this whole mystery attached to it. We've seen Amians in at least one other. Wit slash Hoyd was talking to an Amian at the end of... Words of Radiance, when he's waiting for Yasna to return, I believe. Correct me on that if I'm wrong. And the Amians are these beings that are formed by a bunch of different crab shells. So they're not human. Anyway, I'm looking forward to, to figuring out what's going on there. They had a bunch of Fabriel's Magic Soulcasters, which seems odd. So Navani's making a bunch of progress everywhere except for... Here, she talks about how they're able to power your theory now, and a lot of these physical principles are making sense, and she's understanding more and more, except for the ability to handle the soul casters and figure out the Eurothero pillar and the EMP fused. I keep on calling it that until we get a, a better name. She's riding in this tiny palanquin thing. It's kind of like a cool little spaceship, almost, type of design. Dalinar is flying outside and she reflects on that relationship and how Dalinar is still the stubborn man, but she loves him for it. She makes the analogy that Dalinar is flying like a chull through the air while the Windrunners are sky eels. That's a fun analogy. I love how Sanderson's built out his world enough where he can make these analogies that make sense. That's pretty cool stuff. Apparently the shattered planes aren't really as shattered anymore. Now we have permanent bridges and farms going on there. Okay, input from comments. Are all Amians made of Kremlings or just these weird sleepless guys? 
Mm, check copper mind, but I'm pretty sure there's two types. And one are sleepless made of Kremlings, and the other are different, but I can't remember how. I think we've seen both. So go ahead and check that and, and let us know in Discord. The next thing with Navani, she gets contacted by a mysterious being, someone, from a span read ruby that was like taped to the underside of her flying spaceship, Palanquin, under her desk. And it connects her to someone once she hooks it up to a span read. Connects some unknown being that tells her to stop making Fabrials and imprisoning Spren. Ominous warnings are given, etc., etc. And they say, stop making these new Fabrials. We don't know what this is. Obviously, we're setting up a new mystery. So this, I'm guessing, is going to be a big part of the plot going forward. There have been some speculations that going back to Amiens, this could be an Amien. It could be coming from like a Shin person. It could be coming from, who knows? Discord, we speculated maybe from the Ardens who are measuring Spren. Back in the day, it's got something to do with Spren, maybe from a Spren itself. They talk about how you can't trust Honor Spren anymore, which kind of goes in line with what we saw in Oathbringer. What even is the new Fabriel that she's making? She's not making any new Fabrials. That was all point of what she's reflecting. And she's just using new technology or not new technology. She's using technology to advance, but it's not anything new. So are we referring to the Soulcaster she found? And Amia, this is a big question mark. So we have some theories, but really nothing concrete. So let us know what you're thinking here. Okay, we're down with Navani. She lands here um, going off to Uethiru. We assume with this now new mystery to pursue. Third part of the chapter is the Shalon part. Shalon and Adolin primarily. In chapter eight, I complained that Shalon and Adolin were cheesy and I don't always like uh, Sanderson's romances, but I like it here for the most part. It's nice to see Adolin trying to piece together all of these secrets and being kind of clueless, but this duplicity is Shalon's whole life. So you see the contrast between their characters. We also see Adolin's acceptance of who Shalon is. You can tell how much he loves her by the attention that he pays to her and how he can realize when she's going into different personas really quickly. So he's obviously very attentive to his complicated and crazy wife. And that's awesome. It's nice to see. Also nice to see how much Shalon loves him and how intimate they are. For as far as what actually happens, they are in a carriage traveling back to Yurithiru because the Windrunners are busy. They have to go the old-fashioned way. And they talk about some of the secret societies that Shalon has been investigating. Adolin tries to understand. So maybe a little bit of an info dump for the readers. Okay, yeah. So input here from YouTube X, he's the collector, is the Amian, the Shia Amian, I guess. Blue skin, tattoos himself, drinks a lot. Yeah. Yeah, we've seen him. Have we seen him twice? We've seen him at least once. So that's the other type of Amian that we've seen. Two types. So Shalon and Adolin, they're talking about these secret societies. And they're trying to piece it together. And Shalon, now we get a little more backstory hint as to what's going on with her. And she starts to, she even gives a name to this lurking personality. We talked about this. Phantology predicted this, that there was a fourth personality she calls it formless, and this is a big red flag because it seems like this is just like an evil personality or something that has no form, no real like personality to it. It's just like a personality of despair, 
almost, and she's keeping it at bay, but it's bubbling up. And our theory was that the fourth personality is the one that's actually the traitor. So Shalon herself is the traitor. We'll see. Yeah, Formless is the real Shalon. Another comment coming through. That's kind of the idea, right? That Formless is possibly the real Shalon, and Shalon herself is not real. It's some entity that she has formed for herself to hide from whatever Formless actually knows. And this maybe goes back to her backstory even further than what we saw in Words of Radiance. There is a There's a theory that she did something to attract the unmade. Well, first of all, there's a theory that there was an unmade that was influencing her family and possibly made their fields go fallow and made her her father be so unpredictable and violent. And so maybe formless, the real Shalon is the one that caused this to happen. Big unknown right now, but we're sticking thus far. We are sticking to our theory with the fourth personality already been proved. So check mark there. But we're sticking to the theory that formless slash Shalon slash something going on here is the real traitor that she's investigating. And this is going to come out and be the big reveal. The other big reveal that actually caused my mouth to drop a little bit was when she's reading into Iale's notebook, there are names of other Cosmere planets, systems. We have Nalthus, Skadriel, and uh, Taldian. Taladian? Taldian? Eh, The White Sand planet. Anyway, I stumbled over the mispronunciation because, because there are some nice slight spelling changes that reflect the fact that everything in Roshar is so symmetrical. And so that makes sense here where it's like Nalathis or Skadrail or something like that. Taldane makes sense to misspell it to make it a little more Rosharan. Rosharan. Anyway, that's nice. And then the other name that we get is Thyatakar. Thyatakar, my guess. And that's circled a few times in Iale's notebook as someone of importance. Shalon is assuming that this is some kind of ghost blood leader, which checks out with what we know because we have heard this name before. We've heard it in the prologue of Way of Kings where Gavilar tells Zeth that he can tell Thyatakar that he's too late. So Gavilar, as a son of, son of honor, is probably telling this ghost blood leader that he's too late to do something related to these Cosmere mysteries. So awesome. Awesome. We're getting big Cosmere crossovers. I'm kind of questioning, you know, how much further is Sanderson going to push this in this book? Like, is he going for the full MCU crossover here? And are people that haven't read the other books going to be lost? Thus far, the relationship with the the rest of the Cosmere has been kind of ancillary, where it's almost like a bonus treat for you if you've read them all. But it's not necessarily, you don't have to, it's not required for the plot yet, but it might be becoming more required. So we'll see. I'm interested to see her. I mean, as a passionate fan, sure, make it cross over as much as you want, Brando Sando. But I wonder how much he considers the reader who's only read Stormlight and how he he balances that. I think that would be a nice question to ask him in these live streams. The chapter ends with Shalon getting close to a breaking point. And she's really, it's its really looking bleak for her. Shalon and Kaladin both have it rough right now with their different mental states. 
uh, kind of kind of coming to a real breaking point. And Shalon, we're concerned, is going towards this formless state. She's unable to tell Adolin everything. It's really concerning. So looking forward to the next chapter now. I thought this one was great. Loved chapter nine. I think chapter 10 will probably be pretty similar where we start to set up more action. I think we're done with the breakneck action, which is fine for me because I actually enjoy the secrets and the reveals more than the action. Maybe that's a little strange. Unpopular opinion, perhaps. If you like Phantology, again, check us out at Phantology Books. Please hop on Discord and let us know your opinions. Let us know your theories and we will work them into our community and into our guarantees, our Phantology guarantees that we are going to get something right. Something that we predict is going to be correct. We had a comment saying that the lack of was great. He pisses me off. I think that's true. I think that's everyone's opinion. Not an unpopular opinion. Very popular opinion there, John, that Moash is someone we can all hate. I think it's it's nice to see him on screen, though. It really it adds to the conflict. I think everyone likes Chapter 8 because we had that conflict in it. I mean, you have to have it. So that's it for me. Thanks for watching, listening, however you consumed this. And we'll see everyone next time.